pray. O oh God, open to us the mysteries of your word. Help us to know in faith what you are saying to us for our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I saw a picture in the newspaper this week. It was a picture taken at a roadside camp in Africa in the country of Niger. The camp is occupied by thousands of people who have fled their homes in fear of the Boko Haram terrorist group. They are stuck in the camp because it is one of the few places in the region where the military is able to make regular patrols and keep people safe. The people want to leave. They want to go back to their homes, back to work, back to places where their children can be in school. But it's not safe to go. And when that might change is one of the many uncertainties of life in the camp. Water is an uncertainty of life in the camp, and that's what was depicted in the photograph. The picture was of two long lines of jerry cans. Jerry cans are those large plastic bins that look a lot like a lawnmower gas can, and they're ubiquitous in parts of the world where people still have to walk to a well or other water source to get their daily water. In the camp in Niger, there is no water to fill the cans from a well, and so the cans sit lined up as they were in the picture on many days. Some days a truck comes bringing water, and other days it does not. And the thing that caught my attention about the picture is that these two long lines of jerry cans were lined up in the shape of a cross, as if to beg the question, what is it that Christians should be doing about this? Not just in Niger, but in many places of the world, the availability of water is a major problem. Water is scarce in many parts of Africa and in parts of India. In high elevation cities in South America, global warming has made water supplies extremely limited. In our own country, you've heard about water supply woes in California, and you've heard about Flint, Michigan, where most people are still drinking and cooking with bottled water. There are other places where water is safe and plentiful and where people don't think about it very much. According to Popular Science magazine, the average American, when you include showering, flushing, and toothbrushing, goes through the equivalent of 757 bottles of water a day. 757. From one place to another around our country and around the globe, we have such different habits about the way that we use water. I'll never forget 
a house guest I had once for a month, a man from Honduras. He stayed with us in Indianapolis for a few weeks before beginning his medical residency. Reuben would get up at the crack of dawn every morning, and I knew he had woken up because I would hear the shower turn on, and then I would turn it, hear it turn off again less than 60 seconds later. He was accustomed to getting completely bathed and rinsed in less time than it usually takes me to wait for the water to get to the ideal temperature before I get in in the first place. By the time I get into the shower, I've usually seen enough water go down the drain, enough perfectly clean, potable water go down the drain to fill up several of those empty jerry cans in that picture from Niger. But what exactly am I supposed to do? There, there's plenty of water available here in Cincinnati. Will those stranded families in Niger get more water if I decide to take a cold shower today? I don't know. And sometimes not knowing answers to questions like that makes me feel helpless and guilty. These feelings of helplessness and guilt, they could be applied to any number of different difficult challenges, not just water, hunger, poverty. But today I'm going to talk about water because water is a symbol that is absolutely central to the message of the Bible. Water stories are found everywhere in Scripture. The world is created in Genesis when God separates the water from the dry land. It's the very first thing that God does in creation. The Israelites escape slavery and become the people of God by passing through the waters of the Red Sea. Baptism by water is the primary sacramental act that identifies a follower of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, it is still the primary act that shows our commitment to God and God's to us. And it involves water for the same reason that communion involves bread. These are common things. Everyone needs them and they can be found all over the world. So God uses these symbols to show God's love to us all. In the Gospel of John, where we found today's scripture lesson, water is an especially important biblical symbol. In the second chapter, right at the start of the book, Jesus' first miracle is what? When he turns water into wine. Water keeps coming up in the stories in the book, in Jesus' teachings. One of the best-known stories is when Jesus meets a woman at a well, a woman who is thirsty, and he tells her that he has living water that will allow her never to thirst again. And then there's this series of events that happen when Jesus is on the cross. Just before Jesus dies, one of his very last words is the statement, I am thirsty. 
And this leads the soldiers at the foot of the cross to offer him a drink. And after he has died, to be sure that his life is over, the soldiers pierce his side with a spear. And recalling that first miracle back at the beginning of the book in chapter 2, it says that out of that wound poured blood and water. And that's how they knew he was no ordinary human being. Why does all this happen? Why all the water imagery? Why does Jesus say that he is thirsty? Well, no one is exactly sure, but when you look at the expansive number of references in the Bible to water and to thirst, it's obvious that water has some sort of spiritual significance, that there's something spiritual about being thirsty. My hunch is that it has something to do with another thing Jesus says on the cross. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Jesus says from the cross to the two villains hanging at his sides, Today I will be with you in paradise. And in that sermon, the main idea was that in this life we have on earth paradise. If you define it as wholeness, and fulfillment, well, that kind of thing is impossible in this life. While many messages in our culture might want you to believe that wholeness, that fulfillment can be achieved or even purchased, God never promises it. Nothing in the Bible says that wholeness is achievable. And this is an important message to hear because people who think that wholeness is possible will likely spend their lives endlessly frustrated that they have not achieved it and confused or hurt about what they must have done wrong in order to keep themselves from it. And on the other hand, when we realize that we should not expect wholeness, that it's just not a part of the human situation then we can come to some sense of peace and gratitude for the life that we have. Another way of saying all of this is that in human life, we are always going to be thirsty. Human beings are not made to feel full and quenched. The thirst keeps coming back. And that might not be an entirely bad thing. It's important for people to struggle and yearn for a world that is better than the one that we have. A hunger and thirst for something better is vital to human flourishing. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. One day they shall be filled, he says, if they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Thirsting for a better life, particularly for other people, may not get us to wholeness, but for most of us it's the stuff that a fuller and richer life is made of. It's the kind of life that so many of us so greatly desire. We're supposed to be people who thirst 
people who strive, people who yearn for a better world. The world doesn't look so good when you're looking in the newspaper at a group of people halfway around the world who need water and you're unsure if you can do anything about it. But then I thought of another picture I have. I was reminded of it. You can see a copy of it next door in the entrance to Knox Commons in the display about our mission trip to Uganda. It's a picture of a group of us carrying some of those jerry cans in a community called Sakabusolo. It's a place we visited where they were in the process of building a school, and the water was used to make mortar for the bricks that would create the foundation. The people in that village are some of the countless people in the world who carry water every single day in order to cook and in order to clean their homes. And these people are not strangers to us. We met the members of the school board that day who would run the school and we played games with the students in the future schoolyard. And because of the inspiration of that trip a year ago and the generosity of all of you during the campaign for tomorrow, this week I received more pictures in the mail, pictures that I'm going to be showing to you in the week to come. And this set was of the foundation of the school that is being built as a result of the generosity of Knox Church, a school being built in the village of Kigarama. There are photographs of the foundation, and there are photographs of the people on the school board, and there are photographs of the mothers and fathers who will send their children to this school. For when it is finished, just a few months from now, 308 young children who had no school before are registered to get started. And along the way, as the school rises from the ground, we will keep showing you pictures like those. Not pictures that cause us to feel helpless, but ones that are of lives being changed for the better through Christian generosity. And these communities in Uganda will stay ever more resistant to the extremism and violence of groups like Boko Haram because of the gift of education. Thinking back to that original picture in the newspaper, the one from Niger, it's not that the lives of people we don't know do not matter. Quite to the contrary, it takes even more faith to reach out and help people who we do not know. But I've talked about all of these pictures this morning to suggest that when we are willing in a variety of ways to make ourselves aware of the needs in the world and not simply to be isolated in our own reality, when we do that, we, we develop our thirst. And thirst is good because thirst causes us to do something. 
You may not be able to personally fill up the jerry cans in that picture from Niger by taking a cold shower today, but by engaging in the ways that you can, by, re- by doing that, we are resisting the temptation to pretend that there's nothing we can do. We're resisting the temptation to be hopeless and to just watch the water that runs down the drain. Water is an important symbol in the Bible. It carries spiritual weight. And the reason that it works as a symbol of spiritual things in the first place is because it is also the most practical of things. Everyone needs water. Everyone can relate to it. There's a spiritual component to water that connects us to God, and water has a practical component because we all have a need of it. Those jerry cans waiting for water caught my attention, like I said, because they were in the shape of the cross. Have you ever noticed that the cross works in this same spiritual and practical way that I'm describing? There's practical meaning and spiritual meaning, earthly meaning and transcendent meaning. The cross has a horizontal plank, the human plane on which we all exist, where we're called to love and serve one another, where everyone is equal in the eyes of God. And the cross has a vertical plank that draws us up to heaven, that takes our gaze up to Christ, where Jesus looks down from the cross and reaches down to us and shares his love and wisdom with us. It is one of the last lessons he teaches us. One of his very last words I am thirsty. May we all be thirsty too. Amen.